We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 21. So we're going to go through the rest of the chapter today. And we're going to talk about false teachers and some final words that Paul has in this epistle. Next week, we're going to go to 2 Timothy, which is Paul's uh, final letter ever that we know of, okay? So let's look at this letter today. We're going to talk about false teachers. So look with me at verses 3 through 10, and we're going to talk about false teachers. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, revilings, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gains. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, so let's take a look. We're going to talk about false teachers. All right, so first of all, before I t- kind of go over what he's saying, does everybody recognize we got a problem with false teachers? Do you recognize that? Uh, how easy is it to identify a false teacher? Okay, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. Okay, that's what Tim's saying. What else? Is it easy to identify a false teacher? Okay, comparing what the Word of God says. Okay, so, so John is saying you have to use the Word of God. So yes, that's, that's the standard. What's their teaching? But the Word of God also tells us there's another standard concerning teachers. What is it? It's not just their teaching. Their lifestyle, yes, because fruit is is the product of their life. What's their life reflect? Because there's a lot of people, even on TV, who might say the right things, but you look at their life, and their life is what? Not right, okay? And they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Okay, so that's good. You're learning. All right, so let's take a look here. So first of all, false teachers do not agree with the teaching of Jesus Christ and godliness. They're not going to agree with the teaching of Jesus Christ and godliness. Now, I'm going to tell you the biggest thing that they're not going to agree with. That your acceptance with Jesus Christ, your acceptance with God, has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Jesus did You can't do anything to gain acceptance with God. You were accepted because of the cross of Christ, nothing more. Now, a false teacher will not agree with that. Why? Because a false teacher will come along and say, okay, yes, that's true, but you need to carry a certain Bible. You need to dress a certain way. 
You need to do this or do that. You say, well, wait a minute, George, I was raised with teaching like that. I'm telling you that's false because when you didn't dress a certain way, when you read something that was not right, when you didn't show up at the church, you began to feel that you were less than before God and that your acceptance with God was not there anymore because you didn't do all those things. That's false teaching, folks, whether you realize it or not. Because the bottom line is, is in the Bible, in the New Testament, your acceptance with Jesus has to do with who? Jesus. Does it have anything to do with you? What you did or didn't do? No. Do you understand? And even when you don't do right, the scripture tells you that you go to him and can make confession to him and he what? Forgives you. Makes that relationship right. See, we think that false teaching is Jehovah Witnesses. That's false teaching. But that's not, that's a, that's a more extreme version of false teaching or Mormonism, okay? But I'm telling you that anything that would degrade the gospel to make it to where your acceptance with God is based upon your ability to do this or whatever, that's a false teaching, do you understand? And so he's saying here, false teachers do not agree with the teaching of Jesus Christ. Here, I was just reading this morning in my devotional time, Mark chapter 7 and 8. And in chapter 7, it starts off with the Pharisees complaining that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate because they had raised up a tradition. They had a tradition at that time where before you eat, and it wasn't about cleanliness. Like you, we tell your kids, you can wash your hands before you come to the table. You're telling them that to get the dirt and the germs off their hands, okay? They did it for religious purposes. And they had rituals about how to wash the pans and everything. And Jesus was, was saying to them, look, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you, what comes out of your heart. And he said that they had made their traditions more important than the Word of God. Now, you think about it. Some churches that you and I have been in, some of their traditions were more important than what God's Word said, didn't it? And still are. This is what I'm telling you. False teachers do not agree with the teaching of Jesus Christ and godliness, what true godliness. All right, let's go on. They are conceited and present themselves as knowledgeable when they're truly ignorant. Here's what he's saying about their character. The character of a false teacher is is that they present themselves as knowledgeable when in reality they're not. Like, okay, have you ever met a guy or listened to a guy on TV and it's like they only talk about one subject? They're like a, a one-horse preacher. They only talk about one subject. Most of them, it's about eschatology. What's eschatology? The study of the second coming. The study of the coming of Christ. And so that's all they ever talk about. Or have you ever met a guy who that's all they talk about? They talk about only about this and only about that and only about that. And it's almost like there's nothing else in the Bible but their topic. You ever met somebody like that? Chances are, I'm going to be honest with you, if they're not, they're getting close to being a what? 
a false teacher. Just being being honest with you. Why? Because I'm going to be honest with you folks, like for instance with the study of the end times, there's only so much you can talk about there before you have to start making things up. Do Do you understand? There's only so much. You run out of stuff to talk about. You think you know stuff, but the reality is, is you don't. And look, the other thing is, is that they're truly what? Ignorant. The scripture says that they even call, their, their focus on one issue causes what in the church? Fighting and strife. Look at what the text says there. Look at what the text says. Verses three through five, if you look there, it says that their one focus on one issue causes what? Strife within the church. Now think about that for a moment. You ever had somebody you know that was only focused on one issue? In their, quote, knowledge and their arrogance of the subject, they only result in what? Fighting among the brethren. Do you understand? Causing what? Disunity. Causing disunity. So, they're conceited and ignorant. Here's here's the other thing I want you to see about them, is that they're corrupted and greedy. Their minds are corrupted and void of God's truth as they seek what? Financial gain. All right, let's stop for a moment. Let me just be honest with you. I think we're all old enough here to realize that there are some preachers out there that are doing it not because of Jesus, but they're doing it for what? What did you say, Rob? Money. Am I not right in saying that? I mean, yeah, we we don't want to say that. We don't want to, well, you know, he's doing it for the Lord. Now, some of the guys on TV are flaunting their, their, their jet airplanes that they're buying. Who are they doing it for? You know what I'm saying? That they have to fly in a jet somewhere. You've got to buy a jet to fly somewhere. Can't you fly economy? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, this is what I'm talking about. Their minds are corrupted and void of God's truth because who are they doing it for? They're doing it for financial gain. So even in Paul's day, there were people like that. All right, let me stop for a moment. This brings up, let me make sure I don't have another point here. Okay, we'll do the warning first, and then I'll make my point. Here's the warning Paul gives to Timothy. Paul warns Timothy not to associate with anyone who's like this. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? What? Stay away from them. Okay, Gene says stay. Does it mean anything other else than that? Don't associate with them. Okay? Bottom line. All right, now, here's my point. Do we have a problem with false teachers? Do they do it for personal gain? Do they twist the gospel? What does that require from you now? Huh? Discernment, okay. Discernment. You gotta be, just don't accept, okay. Even, listen, I've met false teachers who came from the school I came from. 
or who came from other good Bible schools. Well, you know what? He went to there. They'll weed him out. No, they don't. Bible schools take money and train you. They don't weed people out, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? So let me just stop for a moment. So I want you to think for a moment. What does that mean? we got to have discernment, but what else? you got to know the Bible. Okay, to be, to be able to compare, you were saying that, Tim, know the word. What else? Here's the big one. It's one word. Accountability. Do churches practice accountability with their preachers? Silence. I think we know the answer, right? What's the answer? No, should we? Should we? Because is it possible that he might go off the deep end? Is it possible? Okay. Uh, let me just stop for a moment. How many of you, I think we're all, I don't think uh, there's only a few young ones here who maybe weren't born then, but I remember being a kid when this happened. 1978, preacher down from American preacher went down to South America, ended up, people drank Kool-Aid and died. Jim Jones, right? He was a cult leader, right? Do you want to know how he started out? Nazarene preacher. Uh, now, are the Nazarenes wrong? No. No, no, no. They're, they're, they're a Bible-believing, from the Wesleyan tradition, okay? They're a Bible-believing church, but somewhere Jim went wrong, right? And was there, was there accountability? No, no. So what am I trying to tell you? See, I'm going to tell you something. If you look at the New Testament, every book in the New Testament has one topic that it always hits, whether it's teaching of Jesus, whether it's in a historical book dealing with them, such as in Acts, but in every letter, all the way even to the book of Revelation, it talks about false teachers, and that you need to be aware of them, and you need to deal with them. Do you understand? So the implication is what? We've got to do something. We've got to guard ourselves, right? Did you understand what I'm saying? That's the implication here. We've got to guard ourselves. Well, isn't that what uh, you and the elders are supposed to do, George? Yeah, we're supposed to guard against false teaching. But here's the thing. So do you. So do you. And some of you aren't. How do you know that? I see what you're sharing on Facebook. And maybe that saying from that preacher was great, but do you know anything about that preacher? Did you understand what I'm saying? This, this is my point. We've got to be a little bit more proactive in guarding ourselves and holding people to accountability. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to move from that immediately in verses 6 and 10, while we're still talking about false t preachers, He's going to move to talk about contentment and greed because that's 
one of the things that's motivating false teachers, right, is greed, okay? So look with me. He's going to talk about true godliness in verse 6. True godliness is found in being content with what one has. You want to know if you're truly doing well spiritually? Check out your contentment level. Are you content? Now, let me just stop for a moment. You, you might say, well, you mean I just, just, just accept everything and not any, want anything better? No, I'm not saying that. You should always be trying to strive to, to do better by your family and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you've got a nice truck and it's running well and it's doing okay and you've made your payments and you're fine and it's still got a few years left into it, and your buddy from high school now has got the newest, greatest finagle thing that talks to you when you open the door, and you're like thinking, that's really cool, and you get in your little thing, and all it has is Bluetooth. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's like, wow, I should have the other one. That's what I'm talking about, contentment, right? Be satisfied with what you have. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? Now, He goes on and talks about the reality of life. He points out that we brought nothing to this world and we can take nothing with us. We brought nothing to this world and we can take nothing with us. You know, my wife is a farm girl, so she likes likes country music, okay? And I remember probably about 15, 16, 17 years ago, there was a Christian country artist, and I forget what his name was. We may even still have the cassette in our cabinet because we haven't played it in years. But he had a song, and this is the line of the song, you've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. Do you know what I'm saying? You've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. I mean, if you were to go down to Chid Boys or up to Beersley's here and look in their garage, you're not going to see it. You're not even going to see a receiver for a hitch there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can't take it with you. I think everybody understands that. That's the, that's the reality of life. You brought nothing into this world, you will leave with nothing. Be content with what you have. That's the point he's making here, okay? That's the point he's making here. He tells us that to be, to be content with having food and clothing, be content with the food and clothing and the, and the roof over your head, with the job that you have. Because how can you do that? We, we, we mentioned this, if you didn't listen to the message last week, we talked about that. Because you recognize that what? God is the one who's taking care of you, Okay? And he's not holding out on you. He's not holding out on you. So he talks now about the desire to be rich. Now, it's one thing to want to make, to have a desire to make better by your family and stuff. But there's a fine line that you can cross where it becomes greed and the desire to be rich. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and have you ever met people who are motivated by making more money? I mean, like some of the top billionaires in the country, I once saw an interview, read an interview with them, and they were like, uh, so what do you want to do? Make more money. You already have it. I mean, what would you do with billions? I know, you've got a list. But you would work through your list real quick, wouldn't you? And you would still have lots left over. What would you do with it? 
make more. That's a trap, isn't it? Okay, so here's what I want you to see. Those who desire to be rich will succumb to temptations that lead to destruction. Isn't that what we see happening sometimes in the Hollywood elite? Those who desire to be rich will succumb to temptations that will lead to destruction. Now, here's, now how many of you ever heard that money is the root of evil? Okay, that is not what the Bible says. Money is not the root of evil. Look at what verse 10 says. The love of money. But, excuse me, verse 10, I'm looking at the wrong, I'm looking at 2 Corinthians. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here's what I want you to see. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some have abandoned the faith for it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that happens. I've, I've watched it happen. I've watched people turn their back on Jesus and walk away from the faith. All for the love of money. All for the love of money. I've seen it. You know what I'm saying? I've watched parents, okay, take young people who had desired the work the Lord is calling them to go into ministry and go do something, and, and, and they'll tell their parents, the Lord's telling me to go do this, and the parents will say, no, you need a marketable skill. You need to go, you need to, go to college and study to be this and, and so that you can make money. Okay, and so they do what the parent says, and then the parents come later and say, I don't know why my kid's not going to church anymore. Or why he's living this way. Well, you know what? There was a time when he was sensitive to the Lord and the Lord was calling him to go do something and you told him no. So why did he need to listen to the Lord anymore? And now you're crying about them no longer being in the church? Do you know what I'm saying? See, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some have abandoned the faith for it. And sometimes the abandonment of the faith is because we've encouraged them to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? We've encouraged them to do that. Now look with me at verse 11 through 21. We're going to see the final words here. Okay? Final words. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God that who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the day, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in their present, in this present age, not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good 
that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid profane and idle babblings and contradictions which is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at his final words here. First of all, 11 through 16, there's a call to godliness. Timothy was to flee the pursuit of money and pursue spiritual virtues in his life. Flee the pursuit of money and pursue spiritual virtues in his life. Now, let me just stop for a moment. He's not talking that you become like St. Francis of Assisi. Do you know about St. Francis of Assisi? He came from a wealthy family. He had a lot of things, but he forsook it all, gave it all away, and became a monk. In fact, that's who Pope Francis named himself after, Francis of Assisi. This is not what it's talking about. It's talking about your focus on why you do what you do. Don't let your focus be making money but rather let your focus be walking with God because he's the one who will take care of you. Do you understand? As a Christian, we believe that what you have is what God gives you. And if you're responsible with what you have, he may give you more. Do you understand? He may not, though. No one understands the mind of Christ and why he does what he does. But what he's saying here is don't, You're not to flee the pursuit of money. Rather, you're to pursue spiritual virtues in your life. Timothy is to struggle for the faith, which he has openly confessed. So you're to struggle for the faith. You're to live your life for Jesus as you openly profess that to others. And is that easy? Is it easy living for Jesus? Nobody's saying anything. Is it? No, no, it isn't. No, it's not easy at all, but you got to keep on living, okay? Be ready for his coming. He solemnly ur- he is solemnly urged to be ready to stand blameless at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Folks, it, even if we didn't see anything on the news and we lived in some obscure village where we got no news from the outside, this is true. We're moving one day closer to who coming back. Jesus Jesus is coming back, and you don't know when that is, and you need to be ready to stand before him when he comes. That's the point he's making here. That's the point he's making here. Jesus will appear in his own time, in his glory, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to appear in his own time, and he's going to be it. When he comes back this time, he's not going to be a baby in the manger. He's going to be riding on a white horse with victory, speaking the word, and everything, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is what? Lord of all, king of kings. Do you understand? So let's go on. He gives some instructions concerning the rich. Timothy was to command those who are rich not to be haughty towards others. Now what is that? What's he talking about here? Not to be haughty. 
I think we all understand that, right? We live in a country with pecking orders. Have you ever noticed sometimes people who have funds, have lots of funds, they're not just kind of like Bubba. You know what Bubba's like? Bubba goes fishing with you. Bubba shares a cheeseburger with you. Bubba talks about the Steelers in your language, right? Sometimes when you talk to people who have money, they don't act like Bubba. They act like who? The Pope. You know know what I'm saying? I mean, they're like above you and, and so forth, right? Isn't that true? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The social rankings and statuses in our culture. He's saying to a Christian, if you have money, don't act that way. You are a brother with who? And a sister to who? Everybody in the church, poor and rich. Do you understand what I'm saying? He commands those who are rich not to be haughty towards others. They are to trust in God alone who provides our needs, not their riches which are uncertain. Hey, are riches uncertain? Oh, so like I'm looking, I'm looking at the news and everybody now wants to get in on the big bubble and buy what? Cryptocurrency. What is that? Something on the internet. Because, you know, maybe you're making, and there are people who are making money. I'm telling you right now, there are people who are losing money too. Because if, is that certain that you're going to make money there? No. People forget just a few years ago, we had an economic collapse. People lost half of their stuff. That, you know, I know people that were saving for their retirement. They listened to their financial advisors. They got their IRAs and everything. And then in one day, one moment, every half of it disappeared. Where did it go? Not in their pocket. Do you understand? Things are so uncertain. That's an economic class. Think about it if you're in a situation where there's a war. Or a fire. You got your business and the place burns down and you find out the insurance wasn't what it was supposed to be and you are lapped and you're what? You're strapped. Here's the most common one that happens in our country with people. You get sick and your insurance doesn't cover it and all of a sudden you're in financial straits and having declared bankruptcy. They say that health issues are the number one reasons why people are, are really sinking financially. This is what he's saying. Put your trust alone in God to meet our needs, not your riches, which are what? Uncertain. Uncertain. Okay, let's go on. The rich should do good by being willing to to share as they store up a reward later on. See, if you have it, you need to be willing to share. God gave it to you for a reason. Now, I'm not saying you just go around and just hand it out like Francis of Assisi did. But you gotta be willing to help people. Did you understand what I'm saying? You gotta be willing to help. That's what he's saying. And store up a what? A reward later on. Because remember what he just said earlier, you can't take it with you. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can't take it with you. Now, let's go on. The call to faithfulness. Paul urges Timothy to actively guard the responsibility that was committed to him. So that's that's a message for George. I need to actively guard the responsibility that's been given to me. What's that responsibility? Shepherding this church. Being a spiritual guide in your lives. You know, what's your responsibility? Well, if you're a grandparent, shepherding your family, 
leading them. If you're a parent, guiding your children. Did you understand what I'm saying? In the things of the Lord. Yeah, there, there are lots of things there. Notice now, once again, Timothy is urged to avoid needless fables that lead others astray. Hey, folks, so they're talking about blood moons. They're not, but that's one time they did. So they're talking about something newfangled on the religious TV, Christian religious TV, and you don't see anything in the Bible. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. If it's not in the Bible, there's nothing new there. Don't waste your time on needless fables. When it talks about fables here, it's talking about Jewish stories. It's talking about stories that the Jews would talk about. And and why do I keep mentioning the blood moons? Because that's what everybody talks about, the blood moons and its significance in the life of Israel and so forth. Okay, fine, wonderful. But blood moons isn't even mentioned in the Bible. And this is the story of Israel. That's just a needless fable. And you bought that book for 10 bucks. You could have used that book, that $10 at Dunkin' Donuts and got a coffee and some donuts for everybody, right? But now the dude who who sold you that book, who paid 89 cents to get that book published, is taking your nine bucks and he's going to his Dunkin' Donuts. Did you, you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and we're not talking about blood moons anymore. And here's what you do with that book after a while. You take it to goodwill. Do you know what I'm saying? You take it to goodwill. Or you use it in the furnace. Because that's about what it's worth, right? He's saying what? Take responsibility. Avoid those fables. Now here's what he's going to do. In closing his letter, Paul bestows a blessing of grace, which is what he normally does. Grace to you. All right, any questions? Next week, we're going to get into the issue of giving thanks as he begins 2 Timothy.